But uh, we'll use this until, until uh, if, if, it, if you have batteries. If not, I'll just go with this. The, um, ah, yes. I was. So this morning, we are starting a new topic. And we are talking, and as we, we've been following through this, you know, roughly or loosely following through this series um, about emotionally healthy discipleship. And uh, this month, we're, we're talking about grief and loss, and, you know, specifically the treasure found in grief and loss. Now, that may sound like, hold on, what treasures are there in grief and loss? Right? Grief and loss, especially in Western culture, is something we do everything we can to absolutely avoid. Thank you so much. We are going to see if I can get this back. And, uh, you know, I mean, no one, no one goes looking for it. <laughs> you know, we, do, we certainly don't go looking for it. And we've... Let, let, me, let me test. Oh. Testing. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. So yeah, we don't go looking for grief and loss in our culture. We don't. It's not something we celebrate. And, and grief and loss obviously aren't something that would be celebrated. But we also have this tendency of, of not dealing with it well. And, and not necessarily seeing it as part of our, our spiritual walk. And yet, the reality is, is that as a result of the fall, a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden, everyone will experience death. Jesus conquered sin and death at the cross so that our, we have eternal life, but we do experience the death of our bodies. We experience the, the people losing people in this world, you know, and as followers of Jesus, we have the hope of walking with people in eternity. But... Grief and loss isn't just about losing people to death. There's so many things that, you know, we, that we have these ideas, of particularly cultural ideas of how life is supposed to go, right? We're generally taught, being incredibly general here, but generally we're taught, you know, you go to school, you get a good education, that means you're going to get a good job, you're going to buy a house, you are, you know, going to have a family, everything's going to be fine, you're going to have a career, you're going to keep advancing in that career, you know, and you're going to repeat that cycle with your children. And, you know, th that cycle, that, that would have been the cycle that I was taught growing up. Obviously, with house prices the way they are, there's that maybe that buy a house thing isn't part of the cycle at this moment in time people are taught, especially in the GTA, but that it's that general thing, right? That we are, uh, there's a terminology that our life continues to go up and to the right, Right? Because like, that's the way you want your graph to go financially, up and to the right. You know? And so it's constantly getting, things are always getting better. And, you know, it's, it sounds good and it sounds nice. But the reality is often life does not go that way. We, we experience setbacks. We experience, you know, changes. I mean, many of you have moved here from other nations and the experience that you thought you'd have is likely very different than the one that you've had. You know, you had a life. I know, so you know, my wife was a lawyer in South Africa. She can't be a lawyer here. It's a career change. You know, for many of you, you've come with incredible skills, 
you know, to this country and then have been told you can't use them here unless you go and recertify and do all kinds of different things that, that maybe, you know, they're, they're big changes that happen when we move. When we, when we move from one place to another, whether it's another continent or another city or another neighborhood, there's loss that occurs with that. You know, and, and then in life, there's things like sickness and illness that hits us. You know, usually at the most inconvenient times, people can develop diseases that actually alter their life and what they're able to do. You know, we can injure ourselves and that, cha- that change how quickly we can move or how mobile we even are. And we age. And it's a really inconvenient process. You know, that as we get older, things to a degree slow down. They're, we're not able to do things the same way we were when we were young. I wish I still had the same energy I did when I was 20, and I don't. And then I talk to people that are in their 70s and 80s, they laugh at me going, yeah, you know, we wish we had the same energy as you did. And, and there's just a reality in this life that, that sort of the way that we sometimes think things are supposed to go isn't the way that they go. It's actually more likely they won't go the way that we think that they should. And yet we're surrounded by a culture, you know, that wants to sell us all kinds of self-help books and often theology that says, if you just believe the right way, everything will go fine. You know, God is good. And that means just think positively. And if you think positively, then everything will be perfect. But that's not the experience we see in scripture. That's certainly not the experience of, of, of people in scripture. At, at all. You know, we have entire books of the Bible, like Job, which is the oldest book of the Bible. It was written before Moses wrote Genesis. You know, and its entirety is dealing with grief and loss. We have the book of Lamentations in the Bible in the Old Testament, which it was written by Jeremiah, and that's who they assume has written it. And it's written at a time when the Israelites were exiled from, you know, or brought into captivity in Babylon, and Jerusalem was destroyed. The promise of the promised land gone. And yet, in that, in that, in the midst of that grief and loss, the book is actually about the faithfulness, goodness, and compassion of God, despite the total destruction of Jerusalem. We have Jesus telling us that in this world, we will have trouble. You know, those, the reward of his disciples that he called to him was that they got to die as martyrs. These don't line up with some of our ideas in our culture of the way life should go. And yet, that process of accepting and surrendering to God, of recognizing that despite all the things that can go wrong and do go wrong in our lives around us, that God is still good, that he is still faithful, you know, we're living right now, we've just lived through an enormous disruption in, for the last few years. Something that, you know, hasn't happened in almost a century. A pandemic of that level. Where everything got turned upside down in our world. Did that mean God wasn't in control? That God was not good? 
Now, it's, it's, it's a reality of a fallen world that we live in. And it sometimes, I, you know, the pandemic's had a lot of destruction and damage for many people. There's a lot of, been a lot of suffering. I mean, you know, it seems that during the pandemic, the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. You know, a lot of people suffered. You know, people suffered. There's people that, that, you know, have been able to get through the pandemic unharmed and other people that have died and other people that have long-term debilitating consequences of getting COVID-19. And there's people that are rejoicing right now that we don't have to wear, you know, that we don't need the vaccine mandates and don't need to wear masks and other people because they're immunocompromised going, my life just got even more restricted. And now at the end of the pandemic, we're dealing with the potential of World War III. And for the first time in 30 years, the prospect of nuclear war is being put forward in the media again. And these, man, they can, these can really shake us. These can really shake us. If we believe that everything is always supposed to be good and getting better. But when we recognize that we live in this broken world, right? When we recognize that actually the prince of this world is still Satan. Jesus has conquered sin and death, death. When we give our life to him, we become part of his kingdom, but his kingdom is not of this world. We're in this world, but not of it. And because we're in this world and not of it, our, our thinking cannot solely be on this world. Now, when I say that, it's not then that we're like, you know, we're just only thinking about heaven and whatever happens in the world doesn't matter. No, we're meant to be the salt and the light in this broken and damaged world, bringing the life of Christ everywhere we go. The goodness of God needs to be displayed through our life, not through its perfection. Not like, oh, well, because I'm a Christian, I'll never get sick. I'll never experience loss. I'm never, you know, my body's not going to decay. I'm, I'm going to be fine. That's not real, real. The health and wealth gospel is not real. It's not a real gospel. Does God heal? Absolutely. Does God prosper? Is he an abundant God? Absolutely. But we live in a broken world. It's not guaranteed. And so with that, you know, in this world, what do we do? We bring God's love we bring God's goodness. We look at scriptures, you know, like uh, Psalm 34. I'm going to read it from the message version. It says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. And that's, that's the reality. It's like, okay, in the midst of Job's suffering, God was there. And in the story of Job, we see restoration brought by God. In the lamentations of the Israelites you know, of, uh, who are in captivity in Babylon, we see in Jeremiah the promises that God one day will restore. And we see in scripture that God does. It doesn't happen in their lifetime. It happens in God's time. You know, 70 Years later. But it's never restored to its former glory. And never experiences the, true, like the, the, the freedom it had had before Jerusalem. 
But in the midst of it, because God's kingdom is not a kingdom of the political kingdom, because, uh, you know, God, God doesn't say that we won't experience difficulty, grief, loss, and suffering. What he says is that he will be there with us in it. That he will, as in, in Matthew, Jesus says, he says, Bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Reading, that was the NIV version, reading the, the message, the paraphrase version of that, Eugene Peterson brings it out and saying, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you, God. You see, our Western culture is designed about us being in control. The way, you know, it's actually designed for others to be in control and for us to have the illusion that we're in control, but we're told we're in control. You know, if you do the right things, if you check off the right boxes, you'll get the reward. That's the message of our Western culture, you know? Message of the American dream or Canadian dream or whatever thing. If you just work hard enough, you will succeed. And the only reason someone's failed is they just didn't put in enough effort. So not true. But that's the underlying messages that, that are given to us. And so we live in an illusion that we are in control. But it's not true. And when we experience, you know, death, when we experience loss in one way or the other in our lives, whether a loss of career, an illness, a disruption, where things suddenly aren't going the way we think that they should go, it's in that moment that we have the ability to surrender our control and give it over to God. To recognize the one who really should be in control of our lives and the one who we can trust to guide us through the disruptions and the pain and the difficulties of this world, the one we can hold on to when we're going through the difficulties and trouble. Adam shared this morning you know, different scriptures about the goodness of God, and he is good. He is good. His goodness is not dependent on us not, not suffering or experiencing grief and loss in our lives. His goodness is not dependent on things going well the way we think they should. That's not what makes him good. What makes him good is the fact that he would die for us, that he would humble himself Taking, becoming a man, you know, living, a hum, living in the, 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 the humbleness, humility of that. And that he would do, live a sinless life and that he would do for us that what we couldn't do. He would die in our place so that what we could not achieve, we would be reconnected to him. That our sins would be paid for. 
that, that death would be conquered, that we would, his original plan of our spending eternity with him would be restored. You know, that despite this broken world, despite this broken world, you know, he walks with us through it. He carries us through it when we need it. You know, it's crazy because Ukraine, Russia, they both would say they're Christian nations. Valdemir, you know, Putin, president of Russia, would say he's a Christian. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're following God. Yeah? Us surrendering, there's something real surrender that requires a laying down of ourselves, dying to self. Dying to self means dying to our dreams of how we think our life should go and surrendering our life and dreams to him and letting God determine what things should look like. Letting God be the one that leads us. Letting him truly be in control. There's a, there's a saying that um, was originally put forward by um, uh, John of the Cross. If you're Catholics, St. John of the Cross. And it's called the dark night of the soul. Now, it makes it sound like it's one night, but it's not. And as we journey with God, as we open ourselves to his leadership and our surrender to him in our lives, it's something that we go through. Maybe something we go through multiple times. And it's a thing where it's the death of our expectations, our religious expectations, our society's expectations, our expectations that other people have put on us. It's, it's going through things that it's like we, where we realize we can't control them. Could be the death of someone close to us. It could be, it could be the loss of a career. It could be so many different things. And it's in those moments where it's like it's like God, where are you? It feels like you're so far away. And yet he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Right? And those feelings are real. Those emotions are real. And, and it's in that that real transformation and change can come. They would say that most people who have, a, who, you know, for, for real transformation and change to happen in your life, you have to go through a dark night in the soul that might last days, weeks, or years. People like Mother Teresa would, um, would speak of her, almost her whole life being a dark night of the soul. You know, and, and there's just countless, countless people in history and people you can read of today that in their journey with God go through this. Because we all will go, th- we all really will go through it if we're going to let go. And there will be times where it's just like, it doesn't, nothing makes sense. 
But it's in those times we can learn to, we, have two, we really only have two choices in those times. We either run away from God or we want run towards him despite what we feel. And if we'll run towards him in our, in our grief, in our suffering, in our loss, if we'll run towards him, if we will pro- be, process things through with him, if we'll take our laments, like David did, the Psalms, so much of the Psalms are David lamenting. It's like, God, it seems like you're not there. It seems like you're, you're far, far away. I don't understand why evil's winning here. Haven't I served you? And it's not, David's not the only author of Psalms. There's, there's, there's others as well. And they are so often lamenting, going, God, where are you? And yet we see the trajectory of David's life with all his faults and failures. And yet he's talked about by God as the person most after God's heart. Because despite what he would go through, despite the difficulties, he would always run to God. And he would lament and he would process and he would bring this through and we'd allow God to change him. David's walk with God was not dependent on God doing what David wanted God to do. One of the most, you know, stories that comes to my mind on that was when his son died after his, after he had had an affair and, and then killed the husband of the person that he had the affair with. And, it, and his son died. And for seven days, he fasted. And for seven days, he prayed that his son would be spared. And when his son did die, he got up and worshiped God. And people are like, whoa, what are you doing? You were, you were you know, fasting and praying and, and, you know, and, and asking, petitioning God for this to happen. And now you're getting up and worshiping him after what you wanted didn't happen. And he's like, absolutely. You know, I got before God, I humbled myself in, in, in the chance that this would change. But it didn't. God's will be done and I will worship him. That's such a contrast to how we tend to deal with things. And unfortunately, we taught sometimes in church a different way of dealing with things. We're certainly taught by our culture a different way of doing things. You know, we're not taught to surrender to the will of God, but to try to get our way. And if it doesn't go the way we think, we're told either we've done something wrong or, you know, like Job, we've got the friends that are like, why are you following God? Clearly he's not that good. There's so many people I know that have walked away from Christianity because they were taught a Christianity that said, you know, God will always do what you want him to do. And that didn't work. And then the disappointments just built up to the point that they're just like, well, God can't be real because people are telling me if I pray and have faith that this person will be for sure be healed and they're not getting healed, you know, and if I just do the right things, then of course my career is going to advance and it's not. You know, and if I, if I'm just do X, Y, Z, I'm going to be loved by everybody, but people don't love me. And so if, if I'm doing these things and it's not working out, then clearly there's something wrong with God or he's not real. The problem isn't with God. 
It's with the perception of God that they were given. And our, our walk with him must be one of surrender and one where we don't see suffering and loss as, well, that must be of the, you know, that, that God can't be here if that's happening, but that we run to God in it. In our society, you know, when they do studies in Canada and the U.S., on, on antidepressant use, right now, or the last one that I could find, which was I think about 2020, and at that time, almost 14% of Americans had used antidepressants in the last 30 days, and in Canada, 9% of the population had used them within the last 30 days. And the older you got, the more likely it was that you, you're using antidepressants. It was 20% of people 60 and older we're using antidepressants within the last 30 days. We live in a society that says, if you're not feeling well, take a pill. You know, if you're disappointed, if you're, you know, I'm, I am not, I'm not suggesting there's obviously clinical depression. There are mental health issues. I'm there's different situations that go on, but we are given a message that we should feel good all the time. And what happens is we lose a resilience and an ability to deal with difficult things. And so, again, not speaking of the mental health condition that people go through, and if that is something you suffer from, please do not hear me putting any guilt or shame on you for that. That is not the case at all. You know, it is not the case. What I'm saying is that we do have a societal sickness that comes from a lack of our understanding of how to deal with disappointment, grief, loss, and some of the expectations that we put on each other. And it is, and it's so important that we learn as, as Christians, how to walk with one, first of all, how to walk ourselves through grief and loss and how to walk others through grief and loss because avoiding it, doesn't work. Pushing it down just means it's going to pop up in some other way. They say, you know, different studies have shown that something like 70% of illnesses are actually caused by emotional distress. And that emotional distress is usually a result of our inability to deal properly with grief and loss. Psalm 147 verse 3 says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We can go to God with our disappointments. We can go to God with our, with our you know, failures. We can go to God when things are not working out. He loves us. He wants to process us through them. He wants to be the one that binds up our broken hearts. He wants to be the one that walks with us through those things. He wants to be there. You know, he's not disappointed in us when we're going through hard things. He hasn't left us when we're going through hard things. It's when we're going through hard things that sometimes our hearts can be the most open to him if we'll run to him and not just avoid the pain. I know for me, 
It can be easier to watch a TV show, to get distracted instead of actually dealing with something. You know, we have all kinds of things we can go to. I also like donuts or chocolate. <laughs> it's, they're great ones, you know? You know, you've watched TV, apparently everyone eats a tub of ice cream you know, when, they're, when they're going through emotional pain. And I'm not knocking any of those things, but they'll only provide a temporary solution, and I'm evident that they cause other problems as well. And, um, you know, but if we go to him, I've learned, I've learned to not just go to a donut and not just turn on a TV show, but to go to him and go to God and talk to him and say, God, I don't understand. Or this thing's really hurtful. This thing's really painful. I need you to help me through this. And, and to bring, bring things to him. Whether it's just a difficult situation or a dark night. Or a long series of dark nights. But this grief and loss for me has been the time that I have gone through the most profound changes in my life. They have been the things that have drawn me closer to God and frankly made me, have shaped me into the man that I am today. It's not been the successes. It's been the failures. And it's been learning to respond in those failures and run to God and let him change and reshape my character and my soul in those times. And so I speak to you on this not from a theory. And I encourage you that may we, as a community, stand with one another. You know, grieve with one another. We've got a family that's grieving right now. You know, Aaron that lost his dad. You know, and other, others of us are grieving different things. We're experiencing different losses and different difficulties. And sometimes... You know, we have no answers. Most of the time we don't. And we can't make it better. But we can just walk alongside people, pray for them, keep pointing them to Jesus. We can't tell them it'll all be okay. But we can tell them that God is good. And we can tell ourselves that God is good. And we can let him shape and change us through those times. So as you hear this month, different testimonies and stories from different people. We've got Greg speaking next week. Josh is going to be speaking uh, the week after that. And uh, I'll wrap it up at the end of the month. But, but may we, during this time, really allow God to speak to us about this. And, and help us, and help us um, to embrace this aspect of being of being human, this aspect of being alive, this aspect of being his children, and let him shape us through it. Amen? Amen. Adam, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, you can clap for James. Thanks, James. Bad stuff is unfortunately inevitable, but God is good. Amen? 
I my personal study, my personal Bible study, I started a new series in Psalms and exactly what you're saying, James. So many of the Psalms is David just kind of lamenting, as you said, that's a good word for it, or whining, if you like, at God. <laughs> Why is this happening, God? But always at the end, he's always says, but God is good and I will continue to praise him. So maybe that's your homework this week. Read some Psalms or Job, and uh, particularly if you're going through difficult times or having doubts, and read some of those of, and how those very wise biblical guys uh, kind of dealt with those thoughts and feelings. Thank you so much, James. Um, it's the, that, is the, that concludes our sit-down bit. We are fortunately able to stick around. I would encourage you not to rush off. Stay. And uh, we've got coffee and cookies. And uh, as we learned, James loves donuts and cookies and stuff. So if you want to show James love in any way in the next coming weeks, you can do that for him. I'm sure he'll, maybe he'll share them with me as well. I don't know. <laughs> But you stick around and you can have cookies and coffee. Um, I would encourage you, please, um, like, hang out and chat in, in like, the, the corridor bits. But don't go into the main cinema area because there's other cinema people in that area. So please stick around. You can go and get coffee and cake and come back in here or just in the, the immediate bit behind us, but not in the main bit. Go and get your kids and then do the same. Bring them back in here. Or obviously, it's finally positive numbers today. So we can maybe even stand outside. So, uh, yeah, please don't rush off. Again, if you're new, we would love to get in touch with you. Um, we've got the welcome lunch. So if you haven't signed up for that and you'd like to come, please come and talk to me. And I can uh, make sure that you're on that list as well. Thank you, everyone, for coming today. May God bless you. Have a wonderful week. You are loved and God is good. Amen.